Welcome to Encore Farm. I'm your host, John Bizarre. I'm an associate professor of pharmacy practice at the supporting sponsor of Encore Farm, the Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy. Happy 4th of July to all of you out here. This is the 2nd of July, but you know what? We're going to start celebrating early. Um, we're going to do keep it kind of loose here in the holiday weekend and just keep it quick and go through... Um, some of the recent approvals. We have five uh, approvals from the FDA since we since we went through an updates pod. Uh, none of them real uh, new or big, we'll say that. But we're just going to get right into it. Uh, on June 22nd, the FDA approved Selenexor, or Expovio, X-P-O-V-I-O is the brand name. Now, we've talked about Selenexor's approval for myeloma uh, about a year ago. Uh, this approval is for re- relapsed refractory diffuse large B-cell lymphoma after two lines of treatment. Perhaps you could have approved after 20 lines of treatment. A lot of, a lot of options for that, that patient population. Anyway, 134 patients, the response, or sorry, the approval is based on an overall response rate of 29%. Uh, not that impressive. 13% complete response rate, though. Uh, a lot of stuff's been talked about this. This is a fairly indolent po- uh, patient population that got approved. And, uh, well, you know, there's a saying. If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. So let's move on. On June 24th, uh, the FDA approved pembrolizumab, that's Keytruda, uh, for recurrent or metastatic cutaneous squamous cell carcinoma. Uh, so this is a non-melanoma skin cancer. And these patients, uh, the approval is for folks who um, have lesions that are not curative uh, with surgery or radiation therapy. This is based on Keynote 629, uh, where they gave uh, Pembro for up to two years uh, or disease progression or intolerable toxicity. Uh, the overall response rate was 34%, only 4% CR, about 100 patients. Uh, this is basically the same approval as semiplumab, uh, Libteo, which was approved a couple years ago, uh, which is currently the, quote, preferred treatment for this disease state. Uh, and semiplumab's approval was based off of an overall response rate of 47%, so numerically higher than 37%, but the same CR rate, 47%. Again, that's a that cross-trial caveat. Uh, the next approval, uh, June 29th. This one is a little bit more to talk about. This is a new product entirely. So uh, the FDA approved Fezgo, which is a combination of trastuzumab, pertuzumab, and hyaluronidase for subcutaneous injection. And this is based on Federica, uh, which is uh, it's F-E, capital F-E, like iron, F-E, then Dairy, D-E-R-I, then capital C-A. Uh, Federica, which potentially would be, if we had a third daughter, we might use Federica. The approval is based on a non-inferiority of pertuzumab uh, trough concentration prior to uh, cycle 8, so the sev- cycle 7 trough compared to IV pertuzumab. So it's a, it's a PK-based, you know, endpoint. Um, you know, the troughs are actually a little bit higher with the sub-Q than the IV in this. Not much. Uh, as we talked about with the trastuzumab approval, there are a little bit of differences uh, with AUC based on obesity. So the, with a fixed dosing, as you would expect, the very obese patients had lower exposure than average, and the very underweight patients had more exposure than average. Uh, th- that is not thought to be clinically uh, significant, uh, those differences. And of course, pertuzumab already was a fixed dosing schedule of 840 milligrams of a loading dose, then 420 milligrams every three weeks. So the, there is a loading dose here, uh, 1,200 milligrams of pertuzumab with 600 of trastuzumab and 30,000 units of hyaluronidase. Uh, that is the same dosing for sub-Q trastuzumab, which exists as a single product by itself with just trastuzumab and hyaluronidase. Uh, the loading dose is uh, a total volume of 15 mil, 
as a sub-Q injection given over eight minutes. And again, the hyaluronidase breaks down hyaluronic acid, which allows for an expanded volume to be injected subcutaneously. The maintenance dose, uh, 600 milligrams of pertuzumab, 600 of trastuzumab, and then 20,000 units of hyaluronidase. It's a 10 mil um, uh, volume that's given uh, over five minutes. And, and those, that's both of those, uh, that would be every three weeks thereafter, same as traditional dosing with trastuzumab or pertuzumab in, in most of these settings. Um, now, when you compare the sub-Q trastuzumab to the sub-Q trastuzumab pertuzumab co-formulation, they're both given in the thigh. Uh, trastuzumab by itself can be given over two to five minutes, whereas this is five minutes for the maintenance dose, eight minutes for the loading dose. Uh, it does require a 30-minute observation period. Uh, after the first dose, and a 15-minute observation period after subsequent doses, which is not explicitly in the label for the sub-Q trastuzumab. Um, again, uh, you know, I think this was a, a fairly large study, uh, about 500 patients, I want to say, um, uh, for this PK study. Um, obviously, one of the key things here is going to be the price point for this. Uh, it does very clearly say in the label it needs to be given by a healthcare professional, so perhaps home health folks uh, could go into the home and give this uh, over five minutes in the maintenance phase and then watch them for 15 minutes and be in and out in 20 minutes uh, and save patients a trip. Um, that may work in some areas. I will say, if you go back and listen to the the, the bonus pod I did on uh, World Marrow Donor Day, I was a uh, uh, hematopoietic peripheral blood stem cell donor and had to take double dose filgrastim uh, locally for four days before I went to the uh, infusion center. And it was impossible for the coordinating facility to find a home health agency to come to my house to give sub-Q filgrastim, um, which is as hard as giving insulin. Uh, but couldn't do it. So in some rural areas, I'm not sure how the uptake of this is going to go uh, unless some insurance company requires the drug to be given at home, which would be crazy, I think. But that might just happen. Now, what do patients think about this? Well, there is a dedicated patient preference study. This is called Francesca, uh, fourth daughter name, uh, which is, of course, starts with PH, Fran. Uh, Cheska and ends with capital SC, then little a for sub-Q administration. Uh, so 80 patients uh, in two arms, so 160 patients total, 80 patients got three cycles of sub-Q, TRAS-2s and PER-2s, and then three cycles IV, and the other group got the opposite. And they asked them, which did you prefer? Well, 85% preferred the sub-Q administration, and the reason, the overwhelming preference for preferring sub-Q was less time in clinic. And there were like 14 who preferred the IV, uh, and they said that was more comfortable, and 2% were like, I don't care. And I know that doesn't round to 100, but I'm pretty sure that's what the PI says. Um, okay, so now let's move on to, uh, I guess, to, to summarize the, the Francesca <laughs> and the Federica studies. This is a nice option, easier for patients if they can handle that volume of a sub-Q administration, uh, can decrease chair time. You don't actually have to be in a chair, for example. You don't have to be hooked up to an IV uh, to get this. Um, so certainly for some patients, it's going to be great uh, for them. All right, so moving on to the portion of the pod where we talk about uh, FDA approvals based on ASCO 2020 from about a month ago. So on June 29th, the FDA approved uh, Pembro, uh, Keytruda, in the first-line treatment of metastatic colorectal cancer in patients with uh, microsatellite instability high or uh, mismatch repair deficiency. It's based on Keynote 177, which we summarized about a month ago. Um, 
Not a whole lot new in the approval from what we knew from uh, the published abstract. So just briefly, 300 patients randomized to chemo, Fulfox, Fulfury, plus or minus Bev or Cetuximab as appropriate, uh, or Pembro for 24 months uh, or until progression. Uh, now, the chemo group, we know from the PI that they were offered pembrolizumab at progression for those that had chemo. Um, and the primary endpoint was progression-free survival. It was a really interesting PFS curve, as we talked about. Uh, initially, say in the first four months, uh, the chemo group was winning the PFS curve uh, battle. And then the chemo curve starts to drop off very precipitously after about four months. Uh, and then thereafter, they separate very impressively. So if you look at the hazard ratio, it's 0.6, which is good. Um, in favor of pembrolizumab, but you know, if you were to do a hazard ratio after, say, six months, that hazard ratio would be longer. That's one of the issues with hazard ratios in the log rank test. If uh, your curves cross, uh, it's going to kind of muddy uh, the magnitude of impact. Now, overall survival we know from the PI is 66% mature. mature. So two-thirds of the folks have died, uh, or the events they expect to be able to, to do their analysis have already happened. Um, so with a metastatic disease, you you know, I would guess that maybe another year or two we'll get those overall survival data. And that's going to be the key question here is uh, chemo followed by immunotherapy, as good as immunotherapy up front uh, in these patients. Or perhaps, you know, when you see that the, the folks progress, uh, more people progress in the first three months on immunotherapy versus chemo in this patient population, should there be a combination chemo plus uh, pembrolizumab uh, or immunotherapy. That would be the study I would want to see uh, now. All right, and then the last approval to talk about uh, is Avelumab, uh, which was uh, the late-breaking abstract one at ASCO. This is maintenance of Avelumab, which is a PD-L1 monoclonal antibody uh, in uh, metastatic urothelial carcinoma in patients who had already received four or six cycles of platinum-based chemo, uh, and it was it was carbogym or cisgym in these patients. So they got four to six cycles of platinum-based chemo, and then they had uh, response or stable disease, but no progression. And then they were randomized to either Velumab plus best supportive care or best supportive care alone. Uh, standard Velumab 10 mix per kg, 2 weeks until progression. And even after progression, the investigators could continue the Velumab if the local investigator thought the patient was benefiting. Uh, and, you know, there was a statistically significant overall survival benefit. It was, you know, uh, fairly sizable as far as a median overall survival. What we need to see is the group that got best supportive care alone. What did they get when they progressed? Did they get immunotherapy uh, right away? Uh, did they have the option to go back to platinum-based therapy if they had progressed, say, more than a year later? Or what, you know, what did that look like? Um, at least in theory, we believe that immunotherapy uh, is most effective when there is a low disease burden. And the lowest disease burden this patient population would have would be right after chemo, especially if they have a response. Um, uh, it is worth noting, here's the, the, the hazard ratio for death was 0.69, and that was statistically significant, okay, for the whole population. If you look at the PDL one positive, that hazard ratio is better numerically, 0.56, with a uh, confidence interval of 0.4 to 0.79, so still doesn't cross one. And then if you look at the PDL one population, the hazard ratio is 0.85, much closer to one, with a confidence interval that crosses one. Uh, 0.62 to 1.18. So a very wide range there. So still don't maybe know for sure that that overall survival benefit, uh, overall survival benefit extends to the PDL1 negative folks. Uh, for both of these trials, you know, I'm really interested to see the publication and see uh, some longer follow-up, especially for the PEMBRO uh, study in, in MSI high colorectal cancer, and then to see, uh, you know, what did patients get at progression in the best supportive care arm of bladder, or javelin bladder 100. So those are the updates I have. Uh, you know, coming up, 
uh, down the, you know, I've got a conversation with a breast cancer survivor that will come out sometime this month. Got a couple other foundations pods that are ready to go. Uh, had some students on a biomedical communications APPE do some research and write a little a little outline for a couple pods that that will uh, that will drop at some point. And um, you know, for those of you, if you're still listening and you're starting your PGY two oncology residency, or even if you're a PGY one resident or a pharmacy student, uh, you know, it's that time of year when I like to give advice to folks starting uh, you know new training programs. Uh, and this I think works for a lot of folks, but y- you don't have to be right when you get a question, but you can't be wrong, okay? It's okay to say I don't know and figure out where to look it up. You can't be wrong. You don't have to be right, but you can't be wrong, okay? All right, everyone, enjoy your fourth holiday. If you get it, stay safe out there. Tell those people, tell your Facebook friends to wear masks in a way that somehow is convincing. Uh, if you're in the States, it's a scary time, especially uh, if uh, you make a, draw a smiley face or, uh, along the southern uh, U.S. Uh, from California, Arizona, Texas, over to Florida. Uh, it's uh, up to South Carolina. A little some scary times here, so everyone stay well. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. Thank you.